Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We're continuing in our series called The Book of Acts, and we are we're taking a, a very slow look and deep dive into the book of Acts. And if in this series, the book of Acts is the history of the church. It's the beginning of the church from 120 people in an upper room praying to what you see in the church today. We're talking about how this, this ragtag group of people was so transformed by the message of the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit, that it has been transformed and turned into a movement that has changed the world as we know it. So we're talking about its beginnings. We're talking about the things that God showed them early on, the things God did in their midst, the things that um, just how God responded to them and how they responded to the Lord. And so we're really taking a look at the early church so that we can learn from the early church so that we can be the type of church, not that we see on Instagram or the type of church we see on YouTube or the church we even grew up going to. We wanna be the type of church that the word of God says, this is what the church is. This is what the church is supposed to look like. And I say, I say this often, look around the room just for a moment. I want you to know something, this is not common. This is not normal. To sit with people from all different walks of life different colors, different backgrounds. I say this all the time. There's no white church. There's no black church. There's no Korean church. There's no, there's no um, Hispanic church. There is the church of Jesus Christ. And that's what we are. So we're taking this look through how we got to this point in the book of Acts. And so if you've missed any of the messages, maybe this is your first week here, I want to encourage you. Um, you we have a, a website and on the way out, there's cards in our, our, at our info desk that you can grab with a QR code or you can go, you can take a picture of this graphic here on the screen. Just take a picture and it will automatically take you to our messages where you can get caught up with us in the book of Acts and, and where we're at and up to this point. And so I want to encourage you to do that. So go back and listen to those messages if you've missed some, because every message is building upon itself. And so, but let's dive right back into our, our story. We are in the book of Acts chapter 13, and we're looking at this man, the apostle Paul and Barnabas, and this, this specific story where they're on their first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas have left their home church in Antioch of Syria and they're traveling around the known world at the time, and they're preaching this message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, last week, we dove into what the gospel is, but we looked at it from the perspective of the person who's saying it. But today, I want to look at the, the perspective of the person hearing the gospel, hearing this message. When you hear the gospel, how do you respond? When you hear this message that changes everything, what does it do to you? And how do I respond to it? What do I, what do, I do with that? We're going to look at that perspective today. Because I think it's so important for you, first of all, to even know what the gospel is. Because for many of us, like I said last week, when I say gospel, many of us think gospel music. 
right? Or when I say gospel, you think of this church word that nobody really understands what it means. Let me be very simple. The word gospel means good news. That's what it means. It's actually a word picture. It's the Greek word euagelion. It's it's this this picture of someone riding into a a city with a white with a flag of victory, saying, "We won." That's what the word picture for the word gospel is. We won victory. Good news. That's what this word means. But once you hear this word, how do you respond to it? What do you do with it? So again, let's dive into our story because Paul and Barnabas are preaching at a synagogue. They're speaking at a synagogue. And again, when, you, when every church has a way of doing things, many churches you come, you stand, you kneel, you sit. Other churches you come, you worship, you do your offering, and then you hear the message, then you go home. So every church has a different way of doing things. This synagogue that Paul and Barnabas found themselves in had a way of doing things. And in their way of doing things, at the very end, after they had read the law, after they talk about the prophets, they would invite a guest speaker to get up and share something, a guest rabbi. And the guest rabbi just happened to be a man by the name of Paul. So he shows up and they ask him to share something and he sees this as this is his moment. This is his opportunity. Now I want you to remember something. Again, I'm, I'm, just, I'm building the, the framework for you before we dive into this. He's in the synagogue and he's talking to Jewish people because synagogues were for Jews. They were for the Jews. It was the Jewish church. It wasn't the temple in Jerusalem, which was the ultimate place in the Jewish person's mind where they met with God. But they're in the synagogue, which is like an off branch or a campus of the main church, if you will. And so while they're, while they're there, there's Jewish people, but then there's also this group of people called God-fearing Gentiles. And these were Gentile people, which a Gentile is anybody who's not a Jew. And so these Gentiles had come to the the understanding that there is a God. And this God has to be the God that the Jewish people worship and the Jewish people serve. And so they recognized this, but they didn't fully convert to Judaism. Because in order to be a, a full convert to Judaism, or proselyte as they were called, you had to be circumcised. Aren't you glad? That is not a requirement to be a member of our Savior's church. One honest man in the building cheering and clapped. But you had this mixture of people who they believed in the Jewish God. But these Gentiles, let me tell you how the Jews responded to them. They kind of treated them like they allowed them to be there. It wasn't like they were family. It wasn't like they were connected. They were like the stepbrother who they don't really have much dealings with. But we'll let you be in the building because technically we can't really stop you. And here's this man, Paul, and he shows up and he starts speaking this message. And for, for the, the Jewish person in that day, this was just another day. As a matter of fact, that's the title of my message today, just another day. Because for the Jewish person, they would show up every, every Sabbath day. They would come to the synagogue and they would go through their routine like normal and then they would go home. And then they would come back, go through the routine, and then they would go home. And then they would come back, go through the routine, and then they would go home. And for them, God became a religion. 
For them, they knew how to do church. They knew how to be religious. They knew how to go through the what's and the how's and the who's and who to shake hands with and who to avoid. They knew all of the religious stuff, but the thing they did not know was Jesus. And so they're getting ready to go through the motions in their everyday life like every normal day until God sends this man to share with them the message that they had been waiting for for over a thousand years. Their people had been longing for and waiting for the day where this man at the Bible, the Old Testament, remember, they didn't have the New Testament. It wasn't written yet. It was the Old Testament, that the Old Testament had promised there would one day be a man who would show up and he would be a great king. And they had been waiting for this man, but they had waited so long, it kind of became an afterthought. Like, is he going to come? I don't know, maybe. But they're just going through the motions. Yet they have this beautiful promise of this man who's going to come and defeat death and sin. And this man that was going to come and become this great king that the nations of the world would come and serve. And in their mind, it was going to be a Jewish man who became a Jewish king and their, their race of people and their nation would become the prominent nation in the world and everybody would come and bow down to them and say how great they are. That's what they had in their mind. But what they didn't know is that that promised king that they had been waiting for had just come, had just died, had just fulfilled everything that he said he was going to, and had risen from the dead. And this man, Paul, who was showing up randomly on this day, just another day, was sharing with them the message that would change everything. They didn't know that. They didn't know that. See, they had this, these questions about the Old Testament. And there were certain things in the Old Testament that just didn't seem to make sense to them. Because on one hand, the Old Testament was telling them that this man, this Messiah, this Christ was going to come one day and he was going to be a great conquering king. But then it also says about him that he was going to be a suffering servant. And they couldn't, recognize, they couldn't reconcile that in their mind. Wait a minute, a great king takes over the world? What do you mean suffering servant? What do you mean gentle man? Doesn't even raise his voice. Doesn't even bruise or read. That doesn't, doesn't seem like the same person. But there's something about God that we have to understand. God doesn't always do things our way. God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are much higher than our ways. Aren't you glad God understands us because sometimes we surely don't understand him. And this moment that they're getting ready to have is a line in the sand moment. It's a divine moment. They were expecting just another day. But they didn't know a divine moment was coming. So what were they waiting for? Paul stands up to speak and speak and he tells them about what they were waiting for. And I preached about this last week, but he goes through the history of their people and he starts telling them and comparing historical context for them so they know this is what has led up to this moment. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 13, verse 38. Brothers, listen, we are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there's forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight, something the law of Moses could never do. He tells them this, through this man, Jesus, 
There is forgiveness for your sins. Then he tells them that this can't be done by doing what they've been doing. Because again, as I mentioned, they knew religion. They knew what to say, how to say it, how to act in church. They knew all of the outside facades, but what they didn't know was Jesus. They didn't have a genuine submission to him as Lord or him as Savior. They knew all of the external things about God, but they did not know God. What they knew was the law. And Paul tells them, Jesus came to forgive your sins, something the law could never do. See, there's something about the gospel that's so important. that I mean, Again, I mentioned it last week. But in order for you to really appreciate the good news of the gospel, you've got to first understand the bad news. See, there's tons of people who walk around our world every day who genuinely know and are confident that God loves them. But what they don't know is why they should be so appreciative for that love. The reason they should be appreciative for that, that love is that we are sinners and God is holy. That he has a righteous standard for the way that he wants us to live. And each and every one of us have fallen short of that standard. That makes it so much easier. This is such a side note. But that makes it so much easier for us to forgive people who have hurt us when we recognize that we've hurt a holy God. When he did nothing but good for us and we continuously sin against him continuously sin against him. And what, what he was saying, what Paul was saying is that, listen, you know the law, but the law has gotten you into the habit of sacrificing animals and making these offerings to cover your sin. But what Jesus did on the cross was not cover your sin. He forgave your sin and washed you clean. That's what the blood of Jesus does. And the thing that you have to understand about the law is this, the law is necessary because the law is a mirror. A mirror shows you how good or how bad you look. When, you get in, when you're getting ready to go somewhere and you look in the mirror and you realize, I don't match. <laughs> well, that's wrinkled. And some of you are so blinded that you need your wife to come and tell you, that don't match. My wife is very good at that. Getting ready to come to church. You're not wearing that, are you? No, I was just trying it on. <laughs> but a mirror shows you how bad things are, right? A mirror doesn't change you, though. All a mirror does is show you how bad you look. See, the law is like a mirror. The law is also like an x-ray. How many of you have ever broken a bone before? Anybody ever broken a bone? Okay, when you go, when you break a bone and you go to the doctor and the doctor, he gives you an x-ray and then you get that, that piece of whatever that is, that, that photograph of your bone and he shows you, this is the broken bone. Imagine taking that x-ray and wrapping it around the broken bone, hoping that that heals the bone. That's not the purpose of the x-ray. It's to show you what's broken. It's not to heal it. The purpose of the law was to show you what was broken. But you needed the gospel to heal you. There's bad news and then there's good news. They knew the bad news. 
And they were content in living in the bad news without understanding that the message that Paul was giving them is the good news. Let's continue. We've offended God. And you need to know that. The littlest sin is an offense to a holy God. Why? Because he's perfect. He's without sin. It's not like God is up there going, ah, that's just a little, that's just a little lie. That little lie caused his son to die on the cross. But even in our great and grandiose sins, those moments where you think, I don't want anybody to ever know that I've ever done this, even that he can forgive. Even that he can cleanse you of and heal you of because that's why he sent Jesus. That's why he sent him. Now, all of a sudden, again, this man Paul is here saying, your sins can be forgiven through the price that Jesus paid. Now, what I want to focus on is their response. How did they respond? They'd been waiting for this. They'd been hoping for this. And now they're hearing this message, which was everything that they've ever needed, they've ever wanted. Pastor, I just need a chance. I just need a change in my life. I just need to get myself together. I just need all of those things that we so want. The answer and the solution is found in the gospel, in what Jesus did for you. It's not a matter of, I'm going to get myself together before I come to church. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. This is the place that you come to get healed. This is the place that you come to get help. This is the place where you come in your broken state and you say, I am messed up, God, and I need you. This is not, this is not the fashion show for the church people. This is the hospital for the hurting. That's what the church is. But how did they respond? Let's look at what they said. Verse 40, Paul warns them. He says this, be careful. Don't let the prophet's words apply to you. For they said, look, you mockers, be amazed and die. For I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. Paul is warning them. He's saying, don't miss this moment because, because God is doing something that you don't fully understand. Don't miss it. Don't let your unbelief cause you to miss what God is doing. And the Bible says he's quoting the prophet. What prophet? He's quoting the prophet Habakkuk. In the Old Testament, there's a book called Habakkuk, and I'm going to read the first five verses to you. But this is a man who is a prophet, and he's walking around looking at how just dysfunctional and jacked up his world is, his nation is. And he's complaining to God, and he's going, God, when are you going to do something about this? God, when are you going to change this? This is what he says, Habakkuk chapter 1. Verse 1, this is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. It's almost like he just had a diet of CNN and Fox News at the same time. Verse four, the law has become paralyzed and there's no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous. 
so that justice has become perverted. Doesn't that sound like the day we live in? And here's this man with a genuine heart going, God, how long are you going to let this happen? When are you going to do something? And then God answers him. And this is what God says. Verse 5, the Lord replied, look around at the nations. Look and be amazed. For I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. The exact thing that Paul just quoted to them. Only in this context, what God was getting ready to do, Habakkuk is saying, God, please, God, rescue us. God, do something. And God says, I'm getting ready to do something. But this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the Babylonian army, and, we're going to, and they're going to capture your nation and turn it into a desolate, barren wasteland. And they, I'm sure Habakkuk was like, wait a minute, God. That's a little far. Isn't it ironic? I told I, I lead a men's Bible study on Wednesday mornings, and I was talking with our men, and I told them, I said, "Isn't it ironic how we do this to God? We try to tell God how to discipline us, <laughs> the same way that our children try with us." I've I've got three daughters. They're known for this. They're good at this. My youngest one, Lily, who's we call her Lillian, Princess of Acadiana. She believes that she is. And I was listening to her and her mom the other day, and her mom was getting ready to spank her because we believe in that. Because the Bible teaches that. Spare the rod, spoil the child. It doesn't mean dysfunctionally beat the children. It just means discipline them. Okay? But so my wife, she's telling Lily she's getting ready to get a spanking, and Lily is trying to tell her how many times to spank her. I can hear her mom saying, get across the bed. You're going to get two. And she says, no, one. (laughs) She's three years old. No, one. Her mom said, three. Okay, two. (laughs) We try to tell God how to discipline us the same way our kids do. And here's Habakkuk going, wait a minute, God. And God says, I'm getting ready to do something, and you wouldn't even believe it. Yet in Paul's context, he's using this as an example to say, they didn't believe God. Don't you miss God. In that context, God was bringing judgment. In this context, he's bringing a different judgment. He's giving you a chance. Don't miss it because God is doing something in a way you don't think he should. Don't miss. We are not smarter than God. He knows what he's doing. And he's saying, don't let unbelief cause you to miss what God is doing. And let me just say this. There is a vast difference between unbelief and doubt. We all doubt. We all have moments where we question God, I'm not sure. But doubting is okay because you can process it with God. Unbelief is a decision that I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to believe God can do that. I'm not going to believe that about Jesus. Even though I see it in his word, I'm choosing not to believe it. That is an offense to God. And Paul is saying, don't miss this because you don't understand it. Then I love their response. Verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, 
The people beg them to speak about these things again the next week. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. They're finishing and they're leaving, and true to form, people beg them to come back. Paul and Barnabas, please come back next week and share this message. See, isn't it ironic how when you, you can hear the truth and it leaves you wanting more? Even truth that hurts. Sometimes we're so grateful that somebody would dare to tell us the truth because nobody else was willing to. They begged them to come back. But yet some men even went further than that. Some begged them to come back next week so they can hear more, so they can have time to process this. Others immediately followed. Some wanted them to come back. Some immediately said, I'm following you. Which, by the way, is the proper response to the gospel. When you hear the gospel, when this message is given to you and the opportunity to be a part of God's kingdom is given, it, the proper response is not, oh, God, let me think about it. The proper response is not, uh, let me, the proper response is, I'll follow you. I will follow you. And that's what they did. The people didn't just pray a prayer. They followed and Paul and Barnabas encouraged them to rely on the grace of God, to keep following Jesus. In other words, they're saying, don't let this be a one-time mental decision. Let this be a heart of commitment to follow Jesus. Go in the grace that God has given you. Live this thing out. See, Christianity is not just a decision. You are not a Christian because you are a Southerner. You're not a Christian because you, Mama took you to church. You are a Christian because you've devoted your life to following Jesus. And what he did on the cross was enough. That's why you're a Christian. You're a follower of him. But I want to take it even a step. Don't just follow, follow through. Live it out. Verse 44, the next Sabbath day, this is so beautiful, the next Sabbath day, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. See, they heard truth and this truth so affected them that they wanted everybody they knew and loved to hear the same truth. See, when God really does something in your life and he transforms you, you want everybody else to know about it. You want people to experience the same change that you have. Because you have to think to yourself, if, I'm, if God can rescue me, a sinner far away from him, then what could he do with all of the people that I know and love? He could do the same thing. He can do the same thing. And you want everybody to know, so that's what they did. They went out and they gathered almost the whole city to come and to hear this. And what was once a dry, stale Sabbath day, a dry, stale synagogue was now full of the life of God and people were coming from all over to hear this message. And they were desperate for it. And I, I picked on our first service a little bit, but I'm gonna share this with you as well. When we sit in church sometimes and we look at our watch and we think, God, I mean, I gotta get to Burger King. This is... Pastor's a little long-winded today. Well, you know the saints are on. 
And I go, win anyway, but I'm just, just joking. Just joking. Just joking. We'll see if that was a prophecy later on. But when you do that, you know what that shows? I'm not desperate. It shows I care more about that in the moment. I don't have a desperation to hear what he's saying. I don't have a desperation to hear what he's wanting for my life. These people were showing up by the droves because they were desperate to hear the words of life that were changing them. And that's not an ad, I'm not advocating so that I can preach long today. I'm going to preach short today. <laughs> but there's a desperation when you realize, God, I need you. Verse 45, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. When God is working, so is the devil. When God's at work, you can rest assured, so is the enemy. And unfortunately, one of his common pawns that he uses is religious people. When there's something happening and God is moving, you'll find a group of religious people upset about it. Because these religious people were power hungry, as most are, controlling, as most are, and they were trying to ruin what God was doing. Can I just share something with you that maybe you've never heard? I don't know what church backgrounds you've come from. You don't belong to me and you don't belong to this church. You belong to Jesus. You are his people. I am a steward of his house. My job is to steward you well as your pastor, but I don't control you. You belong to him. You belong to him. And for these religious people, the only thing that they could see was what they were losing. They were losing their influence. There were, these people were coming to hear what Paul was saying and those Jewish leaders were jealous of what Paul was sharing and how these masses, they don't come to church like that for me when I speak. But now the whole city's coming to hear Paul. Isn't it ironic how when the gospel is preached, there's really one of two responses, a response of surrender and I'll follow and a response that says, what's that gonna cost me? And the religious leaders are thinking, what's that going to cost me? If I'm going to follow this Jesus, this looks like it's costing me my influence. This looks like it's costing me my place in the community, my standing in people's eyes, my leadership. I'm not sure if I'm okay with that. So let's turn against it and attack it. That's exactly what they did in their jealousy. They couldn't even see what was right in front of them. The thing they'd been waiting for, the thing they'd been praying for, all they could see was what it was going to cost them. And they didn't see what they would have gained, eternal life. The fulfillment of every promise they wanted was right there. And he missed it. Verse 46, then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared it was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews. But since you have rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. Paul says, okay, 
then you've made your choice. See, that's what happens when you reject the gospel. That's not God judging. That's not God judging you. That's you judging you. You are bringing that judgment on yourself when you reject. He's saying, I bankrupt heaven for you. When you reject that, you've rejected me. And you've brought judgment upon yourself. That's what allows God to be completely righteous when we stand before him, having rejected him and him pronounce judgment because we ultimately do it ourselves. And Paul says, if that's what you want to do, fine. I'm going to the Gentiles. And that wasn't fine in like its truest sense, like that's okay, that's fine, like your wife tells you in an argument, fine. (laughs) And if some of you men, that's one of the greatest revelations you can get. When she says fine, she does not mean it. (laughs) I'm telling you, just trust me, I'm trying to pastor you. When she says, okay, sleep with one eye open. All right. (laughs) Verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message. And all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. Let me unpack that for a moment. Because that, what I just said, was a mouthful and it could be taken many different ways. Let me tell you what I think it means. What I believe he's saying is this. These Gentiles who were once rejected, who you thought maybe might kind of got in. I've told you this in the last few weeks, but many rabbis believe that the only reason that the Gentiles were even around is so that God had someone to put in hell. That's what they believed. And I believe what Paul is saying here, what Luke, who the author of this book is saying, is these people were chosen for eternal life. You've looked at them as a reject. You've looked at them as just kind of maybe getting in. They were chosen before the foundations of the earth to have eternal life. They're being brought into God's kingdom. Well, Pastor, how do I know if I'm chosen? Let me ask you this question. How were they? They became believers. They became believers. Don't get caught up in the arguments that, if I'm being completely honest, cannot be answered in our day and time. Some of these questions won't be answered until eternity. And I know for some of you, this is interesting to you. For others, just let it go over your head. There's a, there's a big tension between God's divine sovereignty and human responsibility. They work in tandem, and we don't always know how. But how do I respond to it? I believe. I believe. Verse 49. So the, the Lord's message spread throughout that region. Then the Jews stirred up the influential religious women and the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. So they shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium. And the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So the gospel is spreading, and this jealousy is rising to the point where they literally drive these messengers from God out of town. They stir up trouble. Isn't it amazing how in our lives when we're wrong, instead of admitting that we're wrong, we try to get other people to agree with us so we feel good about our wrongness? 
We're going to get other people to try to make us feel better about being wrong instead of admitting I'm wrong and I need to change. We walk away and go, I can't believe that pastor said that. I can't believe my small group leader told me that. I can't believe they had the audacity to share that with me. Maybe they did it because they love you and they want you to change. The Bible says faithful, yeah. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. That means that a genuine friend, someone who really cares about you, loves you enough to tell you the truth even when it hurts. Even when it hurts. This is Paul and Barnabas' response, and I'm closing. They shook the dust off their feet. Now, what does that mean? They were actually doing what the Jews were doing. Because the Jews, Jewish person, a good Jewish person would go to these Gentile lands, these Gentile cities, and when they got home, they would literally take their sandals, shake all the dust off, wipe the dust off their feet as a sign that I don't even want the sinful land that you have to be on me. So when Paul and Barnabas did the exact same thing, but this time to the Jews, what they were saying is you've rejected God, so God's rejecting you. You have now become worse than the pagans. And we're going to shake the dust off of our feet and we're going to move on. That's a big moment. It's a big statement. Jesus, though, taught his disciples to do that. He said, when you go somewhere and you bring them this good news, you bring them this message, when they don't receive it, you don't stick around and beg them. You shake the dust off your feet and you move on. What is that message, Pastor? Some of you know it. Some of you think you know it. But Paul has told us very clearly in this chapter what it was. Verse 29, he says this to that same group of people. This is what we talked about last week. When they, the Jewish people and the Romans, had done all that the prophecies said about him, they took him down from the cross. Obviously, they're talking about Jesus. Saying after they'd beaten him, after they'd ripped the beard out of his face, after they nailed him to this cross like he was a piece of meat, the spotless, perfect man who's never done anything wrong, after they did this, they placed him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. And they are now his witnesses to the people in Israel. And then he goes on to say this, verse 38, where we started. Brothers, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there's forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight. So here's my question to you. Is today for you a divine moment? Or is today just another day? I remember that moment for myself, and I've shared this with, with you, some of you, many times before. I remember that moment for me. I was 16 years old, full of sin, full of guilt, full of shame, full of anger, full of hurt, no purpose. And I was lost, but I knew about God. I knew about church even. 
been Catholic, been Baptist, Pentecostal, was almost Muslim, but they don't eat pork. It's true. It's all of these things, but I didn't know Jesus until December 31st, 1996. Walked into a church, New Year's Eve, and the Spirit of God was drawing me. And my response was, I'll follow. If you want me to, if you will accept me, and all my guilt, and all my shame, and all my stuff, and all my brokenness, and all my hurt, and all my anger, and all of my sin, if you want me, you can have me. And I followed him. And my life has never been the same. Never been the same since that moment. Listen to me. That could have been just another day. But instead it was a divine moment. So I want to ask you today. Is today your divine moment? I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. I want to pray for you. If you're here this morning, maybe someone invited you to church today. Maybe you've been here for years or maybe you haven't been here in a while. Either way, my question to you today is not are you religious. It's not if you've been baptized or christened or gone through a religious process. My question is very simple. Are you born again? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Are you following him with your life? Jesus told a religious leader, A man named Nicodemus, he said, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are first born again. And that heaven, that kingdom of heaven, he's not just talking about heaven one day when you die, although that is a part of it. That kingdom begins here on earth. When you're born again, you become a new creation and you enter into God's family, his kingdom. He becomes your king and you live for him from this moment on. You can have that today. Your sins can be forgiven and you can walk with him. You just have to follow. And I want to walk you through a process as easy as ABC. A, you admit. Admit what? That you're a sinner. That there's sin in your life. You don't cover it. You don't hide it. You admit it to him and you say, there is sin in my life and I'm far from you. It has separated me from you. B, you believe that God sent Jesus to be the solution for that problem. The blood he shed was so that your guilt can be taken away, so that your sins, like Paul said, could be forgiven. And see, you confess that he is now Lord of your life, which is another way of saying, yes, he's Lord of all. He's Lord of all creation. He's the king of all. He's the Alpha and the Omega, like we sang about. But he is your Lord, and you are going to follow his ways for your life so with no one looking around on the count of three I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand and I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer out loud with me I'm going to ask all of us to pray it out loud with us but I want to acknowledge who I'm praying with if you would say pastor today is my day I want to be born again I want Jesus to become the Lord of my life I need my sins forgiven I want a fresh start with God no one looking around on the count three, lift up your hand. One, don't be ashamed, don't be embarrassed. This is your moment. Two, three, if that's you, lift it up. Praise God, thank you. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Lift it up, keep it up, keep it up. Thank you, thank you. Praise God. You can put it down. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud together. And there's nothing magical about the words I'm going to say. But it's our way of saying we surrender. Say these words with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell so I would not have to go. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on this earth, and a relationship with the Father. So I repent of my sin. I turn away from it and I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you are my Father. Jesus, you are my Savior. Holy Spirit, you are my helper. And heaven is now my home. And I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, come on, let's celebrate with everybody that prayed that prayer.